that as we hope to grow this work and get a better sense of the learning trajectory for students, we can really map that onto a learning trajectory and then use that to create some sort of assessment to look at the processes that children are going through. Welcome to Learning Unboxed, a conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. This is Annalise Corbin, Chief Goddess of the Past Foundation and your host. We hear frequently that the global education system is broken. In fact, we spend billions of dollars trying to fix something that's actually not broken at all, but rather irrelevant. It's obsolete. A hundred years ago, it functioned fine. So let's talk about how we reimagine, rethink, and redesign our educational system. This is Annalise Corbin, and welcome to Learning Unboxed. We are on the road again, if you will, um, back in Boston um, to talk about a project I'm really, really excited about. Uh, We're going to discuss engineering and empathy and what that has to do with kids and how kids learn and how folks think and process. So we're really excited about that today. And our guests uh, joining us, we have Melissa Higgins, who is the Senior Director of STEAM, Science, Technology, Engineering, Art, and Math, for those of you who are are used to hearing us talk about STEM, um, at the Boston Children's Museum. And Melissa loves to create exciting hands-on minds on STEAM challenges that inspire children and educators to engage in and enjoy STEAM learning. So welcome, Melissa. Hi, thanks for having me. And joining Melissa today is Michelle Cerrone. Michelle is a senior research associate at the Education Development Center, and she leads research studies and evaluations that deepen understanding of how to harness media and digital technologies to enhance education. And that's awesome because right now everybody's talking about technology and education. So very, very timely. Um, Michelle also co-leads a National Science Foundation study investigating design and implementation of engineering and empathy activities in early childhood settings. And that's the thing I'm really jazzed about uh, us talking about today. So welcome, Michelle. Hi, it's great to be here. Thank you. So I want to start um, with some overarching, sort of set the stage for our listeners, uh, many of whom come from all over the world. And so they may or may not be very familiar, for starters, um, with the Boston Children's Museum. So Melissa, just give us the sort of mission and vision of the museum as a quick place to start. Sure. Yeah, I'm happy to. So uh, Boston Children's Museum, obviously we're located in Boston, and we're the actually the second oldest children's museum in the world, which is a great claim to fame. Um, we started in 19- yeah, yeah. Fun fact. Um, we were started in 1913 by science teachers, actually. So a lot of good connections to the current work of the STEAM team. And, you know, like many children's museums, really our, our mission and vision is to provide really exciting and joyful learning experiences for children and families. And the STEAM team in particular, obviously we focus on the STEAM disciplines, but um, whatever specific activity or project we're working on, we're always thinking about kind of the underlying skills and ways of thinking that we can help support in kids so that they'll be successful STEAM thinkers later in life, no matter what their profession is or what they go on to do. So that's really what we're always thinking about. And a fun place for kids and families and schools to come hang out. That's the added benefit. 
Yes, exactly. And for staff to work in, I would say. We have a a great time um, (laughs) developing our activities and exhibits. And yeah, it's a really fun place to work. Yeah, you can't go wrong with children's museums. They're just awesome mm-hmm. all the way around. So um, excellent. Thank you for that. So Michelle, can you tell us a little bit about the Education and Development Center? Uh, same question, mission vision. So what is this thing? Sure. So uh, the Education and Development Center has not been around quite as long as uh, the museum, <laughs> uh, but we were uh, established in 1958. We are a nonprofit organization We focus on researching and designing programs to improve education, to improve health, uh, and to improve economic opportunities both here in the United States and internationally. And I would say equity is is a common theme that unites our work. So EDC's headquarters are in Waltham, Massachusetts, which is just outside of Boston. Mm -hmm. I'm actually based in New York City at EDC's Center for Children and Technology. The focus of the work at our center is investigating the role of technology and media and supporting teaching and learning. Uh, We work in both formal school environments, informal spaces like the museum, and then also in communities and in the home. And so, you know, our work with families in the home has has taken on a new relevancy, Mm -hmm. right, over the past month (laughs) um, as schools and families, you know, transition to remote learning. So we've been able really just to not only share our resources for families to use, but to translate, you know, into actionable and and family-friendly language what we know about the exemplary use of technology and, and media in the home. Um, for example, my colleagues uh, developed a guide with, with tips for parents for, uh, with young children around using technology as a tool for learning. You know, it's available in both English and Spanish. And, and you know, that's not me like shamelessly promoting our work, but, <laughs> but really just to say that these are topics um, mm-hmm. that EDC and the Center for Children and Technology in particular have been grappling with for, for years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's the interesting reality of life during a pandemic is a lot of the things that we're talking about and seeing in education are conversations that folks have been wrestling with for a really, really long time. And there's suddenly a sense of urgency and requirement that says, hey, now we have to take these great debates we've been having or these lack of resources or these weak concerns around equity. And we have to fast track solutions to all of this. Uh, yeah. So um, it's an interesting time that we are all sitting in, isn't it? Yeah, For sure. yeah um, it definitely is. And, and I think the the rate and pace of modification is fascinating. And I know that's not what we're here to talk about today, but it is one of the things that I think that over time, as we reflect back, uh, we are going to find that the rate and pace of learning uh, it's debatable in some mm-hmm. cases, in some locations, in same instances around how much kids are actually able to gain if they even have access. But I, but I can tell you that I think the service providers, the teachers, the adults um, in this environment, uh, the the rate of learning right now is pretty steep. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think especially in museums, and I know, as you said, this isn't our main focus today, but it's been really interesting to hear from colleagues and just see with our own work at Boston Children's mm-hmm. Museum, the, you know, our, our core work is, for the most part, hands-on, face-to-face experiences. And mm-hmm. now that isn't possible. So while we've had many conversations over the years about ways to digitize something or do it um, not face-to-face, now is the time when we are forced to experiment with that and perhaps right. um, kind of let go of some of the hangups that we have held on to for so long and just give it a go and see what happens. So 
Yeah, and I think that folks um, all over the world, that's exactly what they're doing. So I, you know, the flip side of it, and this gets me back into the research component, uh, Michelle in particular, right? So I said, there's going to be so much that we will have learned. And, and I think that over the next um, you know, 9 to 18 months, the sets of questions that folks are going to start to be generating around, hey, what do we know? How do we know it? What's the data telling us? And what questions should we really be asking for the future are going to be really um, critically important and, and enlightening as well. So speaking of research then, so let's talk a little bit about sort of how what, what's the origin story around engineering and empathy and how is it so a what's the origin story where it come come from and then how that particular relationship between that program and project the museum and the center so i'm not sure who wants to tackle this question so i'm going to toss it out and whichever one of you wants to to lead we'll go from there melissa i'll let you lead since this was you know sure. your- yeah so i guess I don't want to go too, too far back, but I, I've worked in engineering education for most of my career. And it was I kind of started right when states like Massachusetts were beginning to think about incorporating engineering in their educational standards. Mm-hmm. So that was really kind of like 2003, 2004, and had done a lot of work. I've, I've pretty much always worked in museums with some exceptions over the course of my career, but that the crux of my work was from the museum working with teachers and students in schools and primarily with elementary school kids. So after doing that for over a decade, I remained really passionate about engineering education and what that can do for kids in terms of helping them solve problems and sort of think outside the box and grapple with problems that don't have one correct answer. But I really felt like there was such a need to incorporate a little bit more of the social-emotional learning aspect of things and Mm -hmm. specifically empathy, which much like, you know, I I tend to think that a lot of the STEM disciplines are so much more than that single discipline. And as I mentioned, Mm -hmm. you know, you can take what you learn about STEM things and STEAM things and apply it in so many different areas of life. And empathy, I believe, is truly one of those skills as well. So I was really interested in the idea that we could perhaps figure out a way to combine those two things. And specifically, I've been at Boston Children's Museum for about two years. And going there um, really allowed me a little more time and space to learn from colleagues about some of the, the important aspects of child development that maybe I didn't have as much background in coming from kind of a STEM education, you know, space. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And thinking about when kids really begin to learn those empathy skills, it's really early on. So, you know, often we talk about engineering being something that maybe doesn't get its due until kids are already in college and have declared Mm -hmm. engineering as a major. And that's starting to change now with some of the education standards. But then the idea that we could begin to introduce engineering and empathy right at the time when kids are beginning to develop some of those skills. So really in pre-K and K, uh, classrooms was you know the the sort of seed that started all of this, and then Michelle maybe I'll so Michelle and I had worked together in the past, and obviously EDC is a great organization, and Michelle is a great colleague, so I roped her into this. Um, <laughs> and do you want to talk a little bit about some of the big questions, kind of the researchy type questions we were thinking about originally with this project? Yeah, sure. So I, I guess why don't I start by 
talking about how we're approaching the research design because I, I think that gets at mm-hmm. some of what Melissa you're saying. Um, so and that's going to be one it. of the things that teachers, in particular, right? Schools have tried to figure out how do we, how do we, how do we measure, how do we assess empathy, right? And of course, you know, elementary schools um, struggling to figure out how they're going to tap into that uh, that engineering components um, with all of the new standards that are available. So, uh, yeah, Michelle, I think that would be a piece that people are extremely interested in. Yeah, sure. I don't know that we're going to get at how to assess empathy yet, <laughs> quite yet. Uh, but I, I think that is a very important question. So the way that we are envisioning and approaching the research design is through a design-based research approach. And, and that means a few things, right? First, it means that we'll be following a, an, an iterative development process, you know, working very closely with essentially partnering with mm-hmm. teachers as co-developers so that we situate our research and our development process in real educational contexts, right? And so, so the result is, or we hope the result is, that the resources are responsive to, to the priorities, the cultures, the instructional routines, and the needs you know, of the schools and the teachers who use the resources. Uh, and, and perhaps more importantly, is that we develop a set of resources that, that are flexible enough to be adapted by teachers you know, based on their own unique context mm-hmm. after the project is over. The other key aspect of this design-based research approach is that at the end of the project, we'll not only have a terrific set of resources, but we'll also be generating knowledge for the larger field, right? So for this process, uh, process and project, a big piece of that knowledge will be a set of, of principles, we call them design principles, for designing these types of activities, you know, along with identifying the professional learning experiences that support early childhood educators and engaging in these types of activities. And I think as we begin to learn more, that's where we'll start to see, well, what does empathy and engineering look like? How does that play out in early childhood settings? And that will start to allow us to begin to assess to assess it. So, so essentially, as part of this project, you'll be crafting, as you learn along the way, you're literally crafting the roadmap for others to follow and to actually build activities, modules, units, if you're thinking about in a traditional school setting or in informal settings, be able to utilize that tool to ensure that the programming that they're doing is robust and where it needs to be. Is, is that an accurate reflection? Yeah. Where's the I, tweaking around the edges of that? Well, I, I would say, and I'm sure Melissa has, has some much to add to this, but that we're allowing and thinking about the unique context that each school and each teacher exists in. And so that how can they take this uh, resource that we develop after the study and adapt it to make sense in their setting, in their routines? And then I'll turn it over to Melissa. Yeah. And yeah, no, I totally agree with that. And I think even Annalise, you're Point about creating the roadmap, we're actually not only creating it for others, but we're, you know, it's the classic building the plane as you're flying it. We're yep, creating yep. the roadmap for ourselves <laughs> at this point. Educators, um, we're really good at that, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It feels very comfortable. Um, so, you know, I think one thing we were lucky enough to do three workshops with educators before the world kind of stopped being, mm-hmm. you know, what we had noted to be before. And in those sessions, we tried to be very open with them about the fact that while well, we had convened them to share some ideas about engineering and empathy and do some activities together, um, we were really there to get their 
thoughts and learn from them. And we didn't have the answers yet. And we hoped we would eventually find them together. So I think that was a critical starting point for us is gathering those uh, pre-KK educators Mm -hmm. together to share what they were thinking and what felt right to them. And, you know, beginning to pick apart the engineering piece and the empathy piece and then put them back together in ways that kind of felt right to those teachers. So, yeah, we and we still don't have all the answers, but we at least have learned a lot from those experiences. Well, walk me through a little bit of that structure because that's an intriguing thing. And and I'm particularly interested in it because past does a very similar process. I mean, we we advocate for this. We believe in this very, very strongly of bringing the educators in that are going to be utilizing this content or this area of expertise that you're trying to build out or help educators build out, you know, to be have direct application in their classrooms and for them to be not just part of your study group, but part of your research team. That particular design model is one that we feel is critical to success. Um, so I'm, I'm really curious about when you bring those educators in to those first set, those three workshops that you had. So for folks that are listening and don't have access specifically to this project, certainly not, not yet as, it, as it's continuing to unfold, but are sort of thinking about how they would uh, learn from you and your process and the application of your process into their own communities. What does that look like? Did you have a set of activities in mind or did you literally just start with a brainstorm with these folks? Yeah, that's a great question. We did start in the first workshop with some core activities so we could kind of build some foundational experiences together that we could then talk about and um, dissect as a group. And you know that varied from some discussion-based things to some hands-on engineering, mm-hmm. integrated engineering and empathy challenges. So the one main challenge we worked on together was looking at the storybook Make Way for Ducklings and mm-hmm. um, really analyzing the how the characters in the story were feeling and what evidence we could cite for those assertions and mm-hmm. then designing, engineering something to help the ducks cross the road. Um, so that was the starting point really for a lot of the conversation. And then in the first workshop, to be honest, we did try and do some pretty blue sky unstructured brainstorming after doing some of those discussions and that activity. And we had a phenomenal... All of the teachers we've dealt with so far, we've been so lucky. They're wonderful. Um, and they just told us... I mean, they did it. They you know, they were game for it. Um, but they told us basically, we, we needed more foundational understanding. Like, we didn't have enough to really feel like we were being effective in that brainstorming. So... Then we, we've changed every... We've done three workshops. Every workshop has been a little bit different because we're just listening to what the teachers are telling us. So in the next workshop, we offered up a couple more activity ideas that weren't quite as structured as what we had done with the Make Way for Ducklings activity. And so, yeah, we've tweaked kind of every time. And I think the teachers have given us excellent feedback on what we presented and other things we might think about for the future as well. So... We're kind of using this downtime at home to um, pull together some drafts and you know, making sure we're writing up how those changes happened and what we actually did for the activities and what the teachers suggested 
and then we'll share those back out with them for some more feedback. But th- so that's the kind of workshop piece and what we've done so far in person. But I don't know, Michelle, if you want to talk a little bit about how the research, kind of, like how we structured some of the gathering of info in the workshop or some of the ideas we have for moving forward. Yeah, I would agree, Michelle. I think that would be really helpful. And one of the pieces that Melissa mentioned that I'm intrigued by from the research uh, perspective is we often hear from teachers that a shared vocabulary and foundation is absolutely essential. So one of my questions right off as uh, Melissa was kind of going through what that first workshop was doing was, oh my gosh, how do you capture or ensure if you if even if you can't ensure they came in that way but how do you capture and then capitalize on this notion of a shared vocabulary and experience to move forward and i'm sure that's part of your research work anyway i have no doubt <laughs> it sure is and it it really aligns with uh with some of the 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 findings that that came out of those workshops and i have to really hand it to melissa and her team for creating a structured experience during these workshops that also was open enough for us to really hear from teachers in a way that elicited some of these design principles. I think they did just a fantastic job with that. So we did a kind of a pre-workshop survey to get a sense of how teachers think about engineering, how they think about empathy, how confident they are in their ability to address it in their teaching. You know, we we went into this this project pretty confident that teachers in early childhood settings are are addressing empathy, right? That it's a that it's a big part of what they're doing. What we learned from the teachers during the workshops and through the surveys reiterated that, right? Teachers are engaging children in empathy on a daily basis. What we also learned was that teachers seems to most often address empathy you know, more informally, right? Based on situations or conflicts that come up in real time. And what I think surprised us, and Melissa, you can correct me, uh, is that though teachers are confident about their understanding of empathy, they're confident about their ability to engage children in empathy. And they all, you know, we heard really strong examples of how they address it in their classroom. They couldn't necessarily tell us the specific strategies they draw on when teaching it. It also wasn't necessarily clear that there was a common or shared understanding of what empathy is for young children. And that, you know, that's not to say that teachers don't know what empathy is um, and what the important aspects of it are for young children's development. Just that we didn't hear a shared set of language, right, that teachers were all using. So you know, that tells us, and, and here comes like the first draft of one of our design principles, that we need some common language in our resources that, uh, that describe these strategies that we hear teachers are using. So we're just putting words to it, right? Now, engineering was a, was a, a lot different. Well, and Melissa, do you have anything to add about the empathy piece? No, I totally agree. And I think, you know, even um, to be perfectly honest, when we were writing the uh, this grant, which is a National Science Foundation funded initiative, there isn't a definition for empathy in the literature, no matter what, if you're looking at pre-KK, you're looking, you know, for adults or whatever the case might be, there's no, there are many facets of empathy and lots of different ways to talk about it, but, you know, there's no accepted one definition and that, you know, that bears out it with these teachers that we were talking with as well. So we did kind of, you know, we put forth 
a definition in the grant and we shared with the teachers that basically we were, for our purposes, we were thinking of empathy as ability to take the perspective of another. Um, and whether that's another person or another um, classroom or an, or an animal, um, you know, it doesn't really matter the, the other, but that ability to take the perspective of another. Um, and yeah, I think, you know, continuing to talk with teachers about w- what really feels right. And, you know, many teachers, I think, said that they, while they are sure they are teaching empathy and they see it in their students and they can talk about it, they maybe aren't using that specific word even, you know, um, even in their own minds as they're thinking about it. They had other terms sometimes that they would draw on. So, yeah, it's really interesting to hear how, how it manifests in their classrooms and their teaching. And I would imagine that when you ask them to formalize, Empathy as a teaching strategy and a learning target. That was a whole different sort of sets of um, maybe not deer in the headlights, but for some that would be. I would imagine they they struggled. Back to one of the things I heard you uh, both mentioning earlier, as you know, where or how do I apply that? And then when you say, and oh by the way. Let's use engineering principles to do this or engineering standards to try to get us there. You know, elementary teachers uh, in particular, they're, they're great engineers. They just don't recognize that about themselves, right? And that's part of the reality. I see that with teachers all the time. The other one that, that I bump up against, you know, you see this when, when you're talking about technology. Sometimes teachers, oh, no, 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 you know, I'm not very good with technology. I don't understand what I should be teaching with that. And it's just not true when you really start to dig in with them. Um, and then the same thing we see with mathematics sometimes. And so I'm not surprised to see that you would have teachers that don't necessarily think that utilizing engineering as part of that mechanism would be not only an intriguing way to go, but one that they're probably actually already doing and just are not quantifying it. And that's exactly, I think, what we heard from from a lot of the teachers um, is that, oh, I didn't realize mm-hmm. I did engineering. Right. The, the the examples that we're talking about are, are things that I'm kind of already doing. Um, but of course there's a perceived barrier, right? We're 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 up against how teachers we're working with think about engineering, right. which is influenced by by how the larger society mm-hmm. talks about it. And so, and I think Melissa, you can speak to this better than I can. The idea that it's all about math and that it's removed from what maybe the average person is able to do. Part of what we're doing is shifting that perception, I think, right? Uh, at the same time, we're also shifting the skills necessary to be successful in engineering by, by pulling in empathy. And in fact, one of the members of our advisory board is a professor of engineering and, and his whole focus, or I don't know if it's his whole focus, I shouldn't say that, but um, <laughs> a big focus he has is on the importance of empathy mm-hmm. in training engineers, right? And, and it makes sense. And it's, I think it's a really fits well into a preschool classroom in early childhood settings in a way that might be surprising for, for teachers and for parents for that matter. Yeah. Um, just to add on to Michelle's comment, really. So Joe Walter is one of our advisors. He's at a um, University of Georgia and his work at the college level with engineering was very inspirational to the grant itself and some of the ways that we're thinking about this now. But I think one point that he made with us when we were talking, especially about the teacher workshop, was, you know, often, and and I do this, and I know a lot of other people in the engineering education field do this, but we'll sort of say that engineering is 
you know, using math and science understanding and ways of thinking to solve problems, which it is. But his point is often that by simply adding on to that, it's using your knowledge to solve problems for people and communities and animals. You start to shift some of the thinking where it's less, um, you know, less solely focused on the concrete science knowledge or the math facts. And it's much more focused on how we can help other people. And, you know, there are a lot of other skills that can go into that if you're trying to help others. So that could be your observation skills Mm -hmm. or your ability to communicate with people and connect with others. So just those simple tweaks in language could really start to change some perspectives about, you know, who, who engineering is for and who would be good at that. I think a lot of that is happening. He's seeing some of that in his own college classrooms and with some of the students that he's working with. But the idea that we could start that so early on in pre-KK and kind of, you know, change those understandings, it's kind of amazing to think about then who might feel like engineering is for them and who would be Mm -hmm. in that field in 20 years. I think that's an intriguing thing too, right? Because I think that two two pieces that um, that I sort of want to reflect a little bit on um, with the two of you. So one of them is that the humanizing of engineering, which in many ways is what he's talking about, right? Theoretically, will have a profound impact on these. Uh, to your point, Melissa, to these young kids twenty years from now, if they are immersed in, in it, even as the smallest of kiddos all the way along, girls, boys, from no matter what your background, what your experience, what, what what life you're living, you know, in that moment, if you feel like that at all stages along the way that you are an engineer, whether you become an engineer or not, it's a completely different element, right? But but as humans, we use the design cycle every single day. Um, you know, we, we we get up in the morning, we get dressed before we we show up, and we we are successful. Every every human is successful to some extent in engineering at least a, a component of our world um, in our moment every single day. And yet, we don't believe that about ourselves. And as kids get older, we see that being pushed out of them, especially in particular groups. Uh, girls, minorities um, lose a lot of those opportunities. And the other piece of it is all rolled into this, I think, is a, it's a marketing issue, right? We have these these sort of old notions of what engineering is. It's the same problem that manufacturing has, right? It's a marketing problem. It's not what it used to be. Um, It's a very different thing. So I think it's intriguing the work that that you are doing in terms of sort of getting people to sort of think about these issues very differently. Michelle, what what is the long-term... How do you you make long-term determinations around the positive impacts of this experience, not just for these teachers, but the the students that over the course of their teaching career that they will impact, and then the individual students themselves. And I realize that that's a huge, huge question. Um, but it is, after all, an NSF-funded endeavor. And NSF likes big, giant <laughs> questions with a really long time involved. So we might as well ask the question. Yeah, sure. So you know, the length of this project is two years. So it's not necessarily something we'll be able to answer within um, the bounds of this particular project. But as we hope to grow this work and get a better sense of the learning trajectory for students, you know, what it means to go through the design process in kindergarten, what it means to go through the design process in, in preschool, we can really map that onto a learning trajectory and then use that to create some sort of assessment to look at the processes that children are going through. 
yeah, that's what I, that's what I would say as we look to the future. Before we can start assessing it, we need to really map the trajectory. Now we have an evaluator um, who will be looking at how the teachers are thinking about it, and possibly, I think Melissa is she looking at? I, I think she is looking at um, some student outcomes based on teacher reports. Yeah, really cursory with student. I mean, really, our focus now has been um, on the teachers, and especially um, we're looking at a fairly, you know, uh, small group of teachers focused here in Boston, and you know, trying to figure out what is it in their classrooms and their current environment that is either impeding them in in some of this, and how we can better support them, and you know, in what ways we can help them be successful in implementing some of this in their own settings. So yeah, primarily focused on the teachers for now. But of course, then, you know, next, we would love to think more uh, deeply on this with the students and, you know, see what impacts their, what what is happening with them when they're going through these processes or looking at other environments. So um, lots of possibilities is kind of how we're approaching this. Yeah. And I would also add to that, that um, part of this iterative design process that we're engaging in through the design-based research is working with teachers and administrators and other stakeholders to come up with a shared set of goals for these, right? And so as we come up with those goals, as we see what the processes look like, we can better craft the indicators of learning. But we want to make sure that, you know, we're measuring what makes what makes sense in the context of, of the school's uh, the goals of the schools and administrators that that we're serving. Yeah, I also think that it's um, it's a fascinating thing to think about the sort of what and how as these teachers in in this initial group become very comfortable using this and using it on an ongoing basis. What their own modifications are to the process they use every day, three five years from now, right? Uh, that'll be a, a curious uh, sort of. Sp- Sort of piece, but but in lieu of this, and it's only a two year two year study. I guess um, you know one of the things that folks would be curious about is so as you've done the three three workshops in person, um, were there some surprises? I mean, did you learn some things from this initial group that you were not expecting? Yeah, I mean, I I think that is that we learned so much from those groups. Um, I think their willingness. To um, to think about ways to apply this in their classrooms. I mean, it was it was a self selecting group of folks um, who came to these workshops, so I'll, I'll put that out there. But their excitement and willingness to think about trying this in their own classrooms pretty immediately. You know, we had a lot of teachers who basically said, "Yeah, I'm going to do this," you know, next week, or "I'm going to I'm doing this for sure." Um, so that was really heartening, and I think kind of um, reminded us that. There really is an interest in, um, you know, bringing the, some of these innovative and new things into the classroom and trying them out with their students. Also, their suggestions about so we had introduced a storybook, as I mentioned, with Make Way for Ducklings, and they had so many wonderful suggestions about either other books that might set a good context for doing something in their classroom or. Um, other resources we might look at to begin to kind of create a scenario in which engineering and empathy would be easy to draw out. And then maybe, I don't know if this was super surprising, but always a good reminder. So there were many teachers from Boston Public Schools who were in the workshop. 
Um, there were a few teachers from other places, but the conversations between the teachers, like, you know, there were many sessions where we probably, the museum staff and Michelle, we probably could have left the room. They could have run the thing themselves because just their ability to, to talk um, about, you know, specific students in their classrooms and how they handle things. It's always so rich when the teachers are having those conversations about their own classrooms and so unfortunate that they don't get to have more of that in their, you know, daily professional lives. So I always think that is just a wonderful product, byproduct when you have teachers in the same room together. The learning is is so much more rich when they're all commenting um with you know and chatting with each other. So do you um have you heard from any of those teachers? Have they been able to adapt what they learned in the workshops to make it work in a virtual environment? Or is that something that have you asked that question of the, the your sort of study group? I'm curious. Yeah, no, that is that is the question. Um, and so we haven't asked it yet. Um, in part, we are so what we're really waiting for is we wanted to be able to write up a new, an actual document, an activity or lesson plan um, based on what we had done in the workshop that incorporated their feedback. And then we're hoping to share that out with them for uh, any more comments they might have, and also as an opportunity to check in. Um, you know, we have uh, been kind of. Uh, stealthily asking some questions for our many contacts in the school district to get a sense for what's going on. And of course, I mean, you know, teachers are, they're the most amazing professionals in the world and they're all um, doing great work right now, but we do know that they're doing a lot of hard work and, you know, making so many changes. So our goal is always to be as supportive and helpful as possible and not get in their way at all. <laughs> so, um, yeah, we, we will be checking in with them for sure, um, probably in the next week or so, actually. I'll be really curious. So please uh, reach out, let me know. I'll be fascinating, fascinated to hear what and how they've been taken from what they learned through the, those three workshop experiences and are able right now on the fly uh, to take that knowledge and turn it around and make it work in a virtual. It's tough with little tiny kiddos, right? In particular, schools across the country are like, oh my gosh, we get it maybe in high school and middle school. But what are we doing in elementary, especially with the really, really younger ones in elementary? So I'll, I'll be curious. I always like to wrap the program with sort of a, um, you know, a, a last piece of, of information as folks are out there in the world sort of imagining themselves either participating in a very similar program or trying to um, get stakeholders locally to help them do something similar. So Michelle, from the research side, if folks are thinking about such an endeavor, is there anything in particular you think that they should keep in mind right up front to be successful with something like this? Like I said before, I think that the coordination and the collaboration with teachers is so critical. You know, they are the experts in this. We might know about, mm. you know, the conceptual things that drive this work, but, but they're the experts and they're the ones that are going to be able to inform us in a way that allows us to design resources that will work in their setting and that will be flexible enough to work across settings. And they'll also help us figure out what it is, and Melissa referenced this before, what are the factors um, that are facilitating the implementation of these resources? What are the factors that are impeding the implementation of these resources? What can we learn about those factors so that when we go in um, or share these resources with teachers, we can help them anticipate those? So, so, so for me, it's, it's the partnership 
with teachers, with administrators, and with folks on our advisory board who can who can review our stuff and, and weigh in. Excellent. Excellent. Melissa, same question to you. Folks are sitting out there thinking, wow, that's really cool. I wish we could do that. Um, what would you advise to them? Yeah, I mean, I agree 100% with what Michelle said in terms of the uh, partnership aspect of this. And just to put a, a fine point on that, I think most people who work in education are learners and excited mm-hmm. to be learning all the time anyway. But um, to me, really approaching a project like this with that learner hat on um, has been key, both um, because it's helped, helped us keep an open mind about what we're putting forward that is working or not working. Um, and, you know, a willingness to always change up what we're thinking about. Um, but also even, you know, I've, there have been times in those teacher workshops where I realized something that was said would make me rethink an activity that we normally facilitate in the museum, for example. So, you know, there, there are so many ways that what we're looking at and uh, listening to teachers talk about really has legs far beyond this project as well. So always just kind of being that sponge and um, making sure we're applying what what we're hearing from the great smart teachers in the room. Absolutely, always. Well, thank you ladies so much for making time to um, share what you're doing. I hope that we can reach back six, nine, 12 months, whatever makes sense for you guys and uh, talk about sort of where you are at that point and what you've learned. I would love to do a follow-up. So thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. This was fun. Thank you for joining us for Learning Unboxed, conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. I want to thank my guests and encourage you all to be part of the conversation. Meet me on social media at Annalise Corbin and join me next time as we stand up, step back, and lean in to reimagine education.